Powered by volunteer community involvement, this is CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. CKUW 95.9 FM Winnipeg. Bikini Drive-In's mission is to analyze horror and science fiction films through an intersectional feminist lens while combining elements of screen and media studies, arts criticism, and women and gender studies. Since we'll be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, content warning, listener discussion is advised, etc. Also, spoilers ahead. Today, I'm joined again by Jill Greening. Jill Greening is a dance artist and writer who holds a master's in theater and performance studies from York University. She has performed across Canada, specifically in Toronto, Vancouver, and Winnipeg, and her writing has been published by The Dance Current, the Journal of Curatorial Studies, and Dance International. She is curious about embodiment and likes to explore methods of mark making, scoring, and sensory-oriented documentation. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for being here again. Hi, Olivia. It is so fantastic to be here. I'm so happy. Yeah, what you I'm do so is important, and I love you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no vulnerability on the show. <laughs> Thank you so it's much. good talking about horror it's good to be vulnerable today we're discussing George Franchu's <laughs> 1960 film eyes without a face Depuis le temps que je te connais, je lis sur ton visage. Dis-moi la vérité. tells a story of a young woman, Christiane Genessier, whose face is mutilated in a car accident. Her father is a renowned surgeon perfecting her surgery to transplant facial skin. With the assistance of Louise, the doctor captures a young woman to remove her face to try a skin graft on Christiane. Christiane exists as a specter in her own home, floating around in a white robe and porcelain mask, unable to let anyone besides her father or Louise know that she's alive. The final shot shows Christiane walking into the night, wearing her mask and carrying a white dove free at last, but leaving a path of destruction behind her. Jill, what is your history with this film and why did you choose it today? I love this film so much. I first discovered it in high school, thanks to Movie Village's Criterion section, RIP. Mm -hmm. uh, and the cover just really struck me. It was so beautiful. And I do, I am bad and judgy and I most often choose wine and movies and books <laughs> and things by the covers. 
but yeah, it was the character of Christiane that really like drew me in. Um, she's so fierce and captivating and elusive and like such a, yeah, they're just such a, a really interesting uh, character. And I, I watched this film around the same time as The Passion of Joan of Arc, like the 1928 one, and which again, thank you, uh, Movie Village, <laughs> and so both films exist in my brain as these beautiful and eerily fantastical like tales, almost fairy tales of, mm -hmm. of resistance, mm -hmm. and it's since grown, this film has since grown into one of my favorite films, both of them are, but this one, for the sake of this podcast, this film is, I seriously watch it like a few times a year. I just love it so much. Wow. Um, and I chose it today because Olivia made me. <laughs> My Libra rising did not want me to choose a film. Um, and yeah, it's because my birthday's coming. Yeah. So thank you. Olivia. It was on a list. It was like, I, there are a few choices. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's nice. I'm, I'm so happy we're doing this one. Um, so thank you. What's been your experience all of this? with this film yeah not really an interesting story but yeah I just watched it for the first time like maybe 10 years ago and didn't really remember much about it um I definitely I really liked it when I first watched it so I was really happy that you suggested it and I got to rewatch it and yeah you've been, you've been, I feel like you've been talking about it or like wanting to cover it for the show for a long time so I'm glad we finally get to it a lot. yeah <laughs> <laughs> not gonna do it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's perfect um I have a quote here um, by Kate Hagen, Hagen uh, from an essay called 31 Days of Feminist Horror Films, Eyes Without a Face and We Are What We Are from theblacklist.com. And it, I feel like it just kind of like encapsulates like the film. So um, this gruesome French fairy tale about a disfigured young woman whose surgeon father resorts to atrocious acts in order to restore her beauty as a meditation on paternal control of unmarried women, standards of beauty, and the way personal autonomy can be stripped from women when they're kept under the thumb of powerful men. As Without a Face dares the audience to explore a woman's value once her beauty has been taken away and shows us how ugly the pursuit of beauty can become when personal autonomy is ignored. Um, yeah, and kind of like on that note of beauty standards, um, I have another quote from uh, Jenny Holtz from an essay called uh, The Monstrous Feminine in Psycho and Eyes Without a Face but from ScreenQueens.com. And they write, throughout the course of the film, Christian's femininity, femininity is rendered as hyper-visible. The plot of the film is entirely centered on regaining Christian's beauty and maintaining appearances. Even when her face is disfigured, the mask Christian wears is meant to make her presentable to the people she must, who must look at her, once again reinforcing that her beauty is of the utmost importance. These beauty standards are specifically female, and her father's enforcement of them is gendered. If the same happened to a son, the father may try to complete a skin graft, but the underlying reasoning for achieving beauty that once was held would not be the issue. Because Christian's appearance is such a key issue of the film, Christian's femininity is considered hyper-visible. The legacy of the film is highly concerned with the visual aspects of the surgery scene and the uncanny mask Christian wears, but upon re-examination, the film can be read as a story about a controlling father and beauty standards. And yeah, I just wanted to know like, what, how you felt about that reading. I appreciate Hagen's <laughs> thoughts, and I don't fully disagree. I do not. I I really do think that that's a completely valid look into it. Um, but I do think it's maybe a reductive reading of the film that of a film that I perceive to be navigating like so much more. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's definitely a pocket of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think I yeah, and maybe it's my own impulse to just like. I don't know, want, want such 
such big historical context mm -hmm. and with this film there is that which which is really rich so first off I think it's really critical to look at the cultural context in which the film was made so released in France in 1960 Eyes Without a Face was director Franju's second feature-length work um, following a series of documentary films so Franju served briefly in World War One, and the Nazi occupation of Paris is known to have greatly impacted his work uh, as this was when he was also starting to make films. So his first documentary work released in 1948 entitled Les Sangs des Bêtes or Blood of the Beasts is this super graphic film contrasting peaceful shots of the Paris suburbs with the daily events which occur within a nearby slaughterhouse. Um, and by showing these the brutal killing of horses, sheep and cattle alongside depictions of seemingly unbothered Parisian life, Frenju looks at how and why dark realities of post-war Europe are kept hidden. One of his documentary films commissioned by the French government titled Hotel des Invalides from 1951. Sidebar, please, I do not speak French. <laughs> like, I apologize to listeners for my brutality of the language. Um, so anyway, this film from 1951 was meant to look, be a look inside a hospital for war veterans. While the French government wanted the film to be a tribute to the hospital and to the war museum, Franju created the film as a rejection of the glorification of militarism. So I think it's really important to note that following World War II, France was really quick to cover up and gloss over its associations with the Third Reich, which it did have, like there were sympathizers there and and it did have collaborative efforts with France did with um, Nazi workings. And rather than confronting why it happened and how to stop these horrors from happening again, there was kind of like a cultural, it's so interesting that so much, well, maybe it's not interesting, it's very well known, that political propaganda uses these cultural machines mm -hmm. to like really kind of create a gloss or a veneer over these events. Um, and yeah, as political propaganda is known to do, the recent um, atrocities of the World War were quickly memorialized and confined to a place of pastness. Mm -hmm. So when thinking of these histories, one way that I find it generative to examine eyes without a face is as a statement on France's post-war nationalism and memorializing of the horrors that occurred in World War II. Um, and this lens also intersects with two other ways that I do tend to view this film. One of which is the normalizing of patriarchal rule and this film obviously kind of resisting and playing and subverting, not subverting, but like jabbing a scalpel into it almost literally and how much harm that these oppressive structures cause. Uh, as well as taking, I do like to take the film as a critique of the rigidity and regressive nature of institutions. Now, obviously these all intersect in really delightful, but also very messy mm -hmm. ways in which I feel like it could be like a thesis worth of navigating, but here we have a short time. So we will mm -hmm. dissect some of it. Um, um, do you have any sort of like examples or like are there any sort of scenes that you can think of that sort of discuss this like normalizing of pa patriarchal rule or or the regressive natures of institutions like yeah yeah so the one with the patriarchal patriarchal rule i can't say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> patriarchal rule so i mean even looking at like the home situation we can see i mean i feel like there's 
I have some responses to some of your questions and quotes later, but I think that even the doctor's position as this father widower, we don't know why his wife has passed. Um, and especially in looking at like the ways in which, uh, I mean, just even thinking of Prince Philip passing this morning, it's like to have success in patriarchal familial situations is to have sons and to pass on names, to pass on this. It's like, it is this uh, gendered method of carrying on. Mm -hmm. And so this man who's a widower, he has a daughter, he's failing at mm -hmm. his job as a plastic surgeon to, and it's intersecting with his ability to also be a father. Like there, it's mm -hmm. this, perfect storm of both of, of how institutions as like a medical professional within that and as a father figure are like failing in mm -hmm. this color. yeah he's also yeah failing as this patriarchal figure exactly in that way too yeah so those are, i'll get into that more later yeah, yeah. that was my ramble my yeah. brutal ramble <laughs> <about> it here <laughs> Um, but yeah, something that I think just with the mask, even it's like, okay, looking at the film cover, it's so it's the imagery of the mask. What is the mask hiding? What is the mask symbolizing? Mm -hmm. There's, and so thinking of it in this like political sense, it, it makes so much, it just fits to think of it being that as a viewer, we're already drawn into what is being hidden. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of these secrecies or what is being glossed over, what is the subtext here? So something that I found, and this is something that I didn't kind of tune into until a couple watches in, mm -hmm. is that for the whole kind of like setup of the plot, the viewer retains all of their essential like plot knowledge through gossip, like the mm -hmm. police officers or detectives these useless people, as we will get into later, mm -hmm. they relay a large amount of knowledge about all of the main players, Dr. Genesier, his daughter, Christiane, her fiance, the deceased wife, mysterious deceased wife, mm -hmm. and Louise, um, all while observing the funeral for Simone, who is a woman that Dr. Genesier has identified as his daughter to give him another chance to perform this facial transplant. Mm -hmm. um, and together, with shots of like this compound like house like the first time he drives in and you can't even figure out how he's navigating his way to her chambers mm -hmm. and then there's the mysterious nature of the mother's passing we know it was four years ago but we don't know what occurred and then there is the mask that christian is forced to wear by the doctor and louisa she has said explicitly that the mask scares her but she's she's more scared of wearing the mask than she is of existing mm -hmm. as herself. Mm -hmm. That is like so terrifying that they are then forcing this on her. Mm -hmm. um, but this situates the viewer as being really attuned to like this culture of cover-ups and hidden truths. We, mm -hmm. We're so like hyper aware that there's so much kind of happening under the surface. And mm -hmm. we know that there's like a, a mask bald over her eyes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> happening <laughs> no yeah I think that's very yeah that's very insightful like what little like exposition the exposition that we get throughout the film is sort of filtered through gossip and passing remarks 
And yeah, it, it is a very quiet film and it doesn't even seem like there's a lot of dialogue, but it is just like speculation and gossip to sort of like communicate to the viewer like what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, to sort of touch on the father a little bit, um, in researching for the show, I came across a lot of like interviews and, and other podcasts and stuff where they were talking about the father acting like out of love for his daughter. And I don't really agree. I find him to be this kind of like domineering, kind of like frightening presence in the film and has this like very like clinical detachment to his daughter. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to see like what, how you felt about this and like, do you see his brutality as an act of love for his daughter or could it be like as a way to prefer, to preserve his ego and his sort of like doctor genius-ness? That's a very good question. Yeah, it's, it is strange because they do humanize him in a way. Mm -hmm. Like you're made aware that he, there's like one scene, my notes from this film are like so messy, but there's one scene and I feel like he's like where you are very much made aware that he feels shame mm -hmm. and embarrassment and failure. Like mm -hmm. they, they do humanize him. However, I think that he's very selfish mm -hmm. and cruel. Yeah. <laughs> and especially especially in thinking of what I perceive to be like the political political context of this film the fact that he's testing he these experiments he's he's keeping dogs in cages in what look like a strange like bunker mm -hmm. prison situation and yeah. he experiments on them he does not show them love or care mm -hmm. and then with a daughter as well you don't see care in their relationship mm -hmm. um yeah so I, I yeah I agree with you I don't I don't think that he's it's coming for coming from a place of care for his daughter it seems like it is like ego-based and mm -hmm. self-based and more for the benefit of again speaking of like these like institutional or like patriarchal structures it's more for that like a keeping up appearance yes definitely and it yeah. is anything uh relational yeah totally i see him as like yeah like you said like sort of being driven by his fear of failure and his fear fear of shame and i think that christian reminds him of his of this failure because he is it was his fault that they were in a car accident because he was trying to seem like he had this some sort of outburst or was angry and then had to control she says that she he has to control everything exactly yeah yes yes she has that line of him needing to control everything and you're like ding, 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 ding. Mm -hmm. alarm bells like yeah. that that's it so and then that again is like him viewing her fit. and I guess the thinking of like these beauty standards thing it's not that mm -hmm. it's needing to be beautiful it's that her her face or the situation reminds him of his past like if we yeah. want to look at whether it be past or whether it be mistakes or whether it be his failure mm -hmm. but the, that reminder and so it, it's something that he feels the need to cover up and to fix mm -hmm. and to move past rather than dealing with like what's in front of him yeah and and again if you think of sort of like his job as a patriarch is to 
you know, you have sons to carry on your name or whatever your legacy, and you have daughters to marry off who then have children, who then have sons of their own. And maybe from his point of view, he has failed as a patriarch because of her scars. Now she can't move on to her sort of next role. Exactly. And so then him also like his failure that he can't even like be able to like, like the fact that she, yeah, it's very depressing. It's very depressing. And it's just like so narcissistic. Like maybe it's love, but like as much love as a narcissistic parent can yeah or it's show like, their uh, own child Ugh. yeah it's love in such a backwards way or like such yeah. a repressed and like stilted way stilted and also like very overprotective to the point of being controlling yes yeah yeah, Ugh. Ugh. yeah. um just one um, note on your you, you mentioned um how the film like humanizes him and and i i agree i think he's like he's not just a strict villain i think he's like a complicated like kind of horrible man but there are reasons um so apparently in the american version of the film the american cut they took out the scene of him in the hospital tending to the small boy patient because apparently like american censors or distribution were worried that it would humanize him too much or make him too too empathetic rather than just like strictly a villain that's so interesting i found that film that film oh my gosh my brain um yeah that scene is really pivotal and really pivotal maybe that's hyperbolic but I do I don't what's the harm in humanizing him like we can critique him but for him to be human is is it's interesting to me that they would remove that scene I thought that scene was really pivotal for mm-hmm. our understanding of his of his failures totally <laughs> and how he's aware of it yeah. he's completely aware of it yet he's stuck in this mm-hmm. and and I guess it's that stuckness it's mm-hmm. that the fact that he's like he knows that he's messing up mm-hmm. and he knows that he's causing violence but yet he's continuing on mm-hmm. which is something that unfortunately occurs with people or societal situations that happens in institutions that refuse to change where they're mm-hmm. stuck in these ways of existing and ways mm-hmm. of being that we know cause harm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that scene is completely illustrates illustrates that. Totally. Yeah, because he's not he's it's not, terrifying. He's, it's a terrifying yeah. scene. Yeah, because he's not he's not cruel to the boy, but he's still <laughs> has that clinical deta- detachment and is like still very with- withholding, like even isn't sharing all the information with the mother. Yes. Yeah, I find it to be, yes, I think it's humanizing, but it's also, it's absolutely terrifying because he's highly aware that he will continue to hurt people, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know, he's so stuck. He's so yeah. stubborn or yeah, doesn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but to touch back, on Jenny Holtz's assumption mm-hmm. of if the doctor had a son, mm-hmm. uh, which is really unfortunately, I feel it to be like a dichotomous perspective. But mm-hmm. Christian's mask is so beautifully reminiscent of early plastic surgery and like following World War One when there was an influx of people with disfigurements caused by shrapnel and the effects of like what we know to be, you know, one of the final sites of, of that sort of combat. Mm-hmm. 
um, like it caused, you know, this kind of like, for lack of a better word, a boom in this world of plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to look to the bigger reasons of what's being covered up again, as we've said, like, is it actually an attempt to make someone beautiful? I don't think so. It's like, it's an attempt to hide trauma. It's an attempt to hide mm-hmm. this injury an attempt to cover up and move on. Mm-hmm. And as the viewer learns when Louise is assisting Christiane with the mask, um, it's yeah, like him needing to assert control mm-hmm. that was damaging. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that in viewing this, it's reminding him of all these past events. And then in thinking of this past scene with him and the boy too, like it's him just kind of keeping this cool demeanor, covering mm-hmm. up and moving on. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, that is the problem that he keeps on facing and that like memorialization of militarism continues to face mm-hmm. as well. Totally. So Louise and the doctor have also removed all the mirrors in the home, locking Christiane in an abusive situation where she doesn't have any autonomy either to adjust to her new reality. Mm-hmm. And like, also, I think it is really interesting in thinking of his clinical and detached nature that he like he completely perceives not only the dogs which he gathers, but mm-hmm. also like even his daughter and these other women, obviously, as like less than human, mm-hmm. which again speaks to the inhumane horrors that occurred during World War II. And there's like quite a bit written on the fact that when adapting this film from the original book, which did focus more on the doctor um, to the screen where they kind of more Christian is like the central character. Um, but the cre- creators were really careful to cut back on animal cruelty, which would offend the British censors. They would cut back on the blood, which would offend the French censors. And then also to be careful of like mad scientist tropes mm-hmm. because coming out of World War II, obviously that was touchy for German censors mm-hmm. as we know of atrocities that were committed mm-hmm. by uh, Nazi doctors. So the connections between the doctor's experimentations and the failures of his experimentations is, I think, really telling of like a a mass dissolution. Mm-hmm. And when uh, you're getting, oh, sorry, just to your point of um, how we experiment on animals and women, and sort of comparing that to um, how we see like soldiers and casualties of war, like these sort of steps, they're just kind of like um, means to an end for him. Which then you could, in thinking of like a political context, it's like he is those institutions, he is those political powers, Mm -hmm. which deem humans as less than when they're thinking more on like a kind of a playing with risk. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like Like, like sort of detached from actual like humanity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The disillusion is really like another like dark again in thinking of that scene that was cut like that's when we notice his disillusionment with his powers Mm. his medical powers and like that is one of the most depressing elements of this film is the disillusionment that these folks are navigating and we know it because of um Franju's like uh connections to surrealism Mm. but it's this like disillusionment with how coming out of the like 
fucking devastation of the wars, both of them. Mm -hmm. And then moving into this like hyper kind of modern spaces, specifically with this, with the medical world. But this disillusionment, I think is like navigated so interestingly. And the fact that we have a villain here, Mm -hmm. the doctor who you can see like the moments where he knows it, like there's, Mm -hmm. we're given glimpses into his own realizations of his own disillusionment. yeah, like it's so interesting in the scene when I think it's quite early on mm-hmm. when he's presenting in the medical institution and then the older women come up afterwards and go into what I perceive to be a green room, which is totally yeah. not a green room. They like <laughs> fawn over his research and they say something about his work um, being like the way of the future. And he states, we should have started on the future long ago or something like that. Again, my writing is such garbage. <laughs> but we get, yeah, like glimpses at yeah, these failures or, or missteps that he's highly aware of. Um, yet him and Louise must continue to seek out women and as she, she grooms them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the skin, gra- skin grafts are not working when prepping Edna, who's I think the second woman, mm-hmm. he's like sweating profusely and mouth breathing. And then there's that scene um, where he says something about like, having done a lot of wrong mm-hmm. and yeah like the moments where he's like feeling defeated and disillusioned and it really yeah speak as said earlier speaks to the failures of patriarchal, patriarchal systems and their oppressive and destructive nature like on all involved mm-hmm. like he's committed himself to repeat again and again a surgery that continues to harm yet he seems like not able to perceive a way out mm-hmm. or to like re-envision what would it's not a matter of like him admitting defeat but maybe like like it really would take like a crumbling of his identity as this Mm -hmm. highly esteemed institutionalized figure wealthy figure yeah patriarchal whatever um but yeah like there's a dismantling that that needs to happen it would yeah it would just completely destroy his ego i believe Mm -hmm. for yeah so just to accept that that experiment didn't work and she would continue and christian would continue to live with a scarred face but i think he knows that mm-hmm. like that's the darkness is that he yeah. knows he knows that mm-hmm. like they they talk about hope mm-hmm. like louis i feel like louis i know he says it but i think louise mm-hmm. like there's really kind of a like like almost like a brainwash cult kind of like toxic positivity type yeah of or like yeah something detached with how she talks about hope and because the doctor knows Mm -hmm. that like he is we get glimpses of that Mm -hmm. so it's it's so interesting to yeah to be like that that is the dark part of it is that he knows that what he's doing he he's that's how i read yeah um and yeah i haven't figured out obviously i'm like so not very articulate today there's something (laughs) You can tell I'm really not very articulate. Yeah. Um, but there's something for the final minutes when Christiane is liberating all of the things. The young woman on the gurney who escapes, she cuts her out of her shackles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the dogs and the birds. And she stabs Louise with that little scalpel through the pearls in her choker. Mm-hmm. And Louise says, why? When we're crumbling and dying. And that why, like I, I have not, I don't know what it is, but I know 
that that why holds something and I guess there's like the why of disillusion Mm -hmm. and there's like as I said a lot of talk of hope and like Louise dies in the compound and the doctor dies by being mauled by the very dogs that he experimented on Mm -hmm. and both pass away as captives of sorts like Louise owing her face apparently to the doctor and the doctor is completely chained to his past failings air quotes that he can't or won't remedy but the film ends by showing Christiane's back as she walks away into the woods and she's like freed from an existence that was more of an entrapment and a lie and there are definite themes um and some Louise quotes that point to starting anew and regeneration and I think this ending kind of loosely ties them together in like a fantastical fairy tale moment where the viewer is invited to move away from the familial and medical institutions located within Christian's home space and towards something else but it is mm. it's that like like that's the 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 grinding of the wheel <laughs> the, the doctor was was stuck in right now yeah. darkness and then this is like this I don't know reimagining that's yeah. kind of hopeful Interesting. Yeah. Um, Back to um, Louise saying why, like, and kind of like your idea of her almost seeming like, like being brainwashed, or she seems she's just so enamored with the doctor. And she feels like she owes him her face. And their their relationship is very fascinating, because it's just like, she's basically this like, um, what's the term I'm, I'm thinking of, but like surrogate caregiver for Christiane while also mm-hmm. grooming and capturing these other young women and being his assistant in these in mutilating young women but while then still has this very like hopeful sort of don't question your father don't question authority sort of mentality yes mm-hmm. which I think just speaks generally to complicity mm-hmm. complicity that happens with with yeah that feeling of debt and that mm-hmm. feeling of owing or that feeling of stuckedness mm-hmm. and gaslighting that can occur mm-hmm. <laughs> um and covering up too yeah exactly so like that each atrocities if, mm-hmm. yes yes yeah oh she's also so brilliantly played like oh, yes yes and she's also plays miss tanner from Cisco. yeah yes perfect yeah but I do wonder like because especially early on that scene like the first I guess it would be Simone Mm -hmm. when we first see her disposing of a body and there's that moment when she like like, we see her face and there's like I don't know something there that's like Again, is like she there's like like guilt or something or element. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some weirdness. And same with when they're uh which one? This is the oh gosh, when the the body that they have to get rid of in the tomb. Oh Edna. No. Is that her name? I think so. Yeah, the second one. Yeah. Edna. Yeah, when they just put her in um yeah, in Christian's fake tomb. Which is also an interesting like dig at patriarchal family structures the mm-hmm. fact that this father figure is like desecrating this family tomb mm-hmm. to for the sake of his failures of experiments mm-hmm. is like very interesting 
But and also yeah, they have the, they're like weird nuclear family that they have set up. They're like weird hostage situation that they're all in together. Completely. All of them are captives. Yeah. And yes. which then it's like, okay, so we're all, yeah, like, what does that say? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Louise with that moment too, like she's so stressed. Yeah. It's like classic, like uh, Hitchcock face, facial exasperation like it's so stressful her like being so worried about the sound that he's making and and depositing the body in this mm-hmm. tomb and then there's like that plane that flies over and it's like <gasps> like yeah, yeah. i see well i feel like it's on like wikipedia talking about that scene as like a navigation of techno like the technological advances coming in or surveillance oh. too maybe yeah 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 mm-hmm. that would make sense yeah Ugh. um yeah i want to talk a little bit more about the surgery scene so there is this like horrific like face removal scene where they are cutting and i don't even know like the effects are really good maybe it's like because it's in black and white but it seems like so advanced for the time and is just like so gruesome but a scene where they are taking off edna's face surgically and it's there's no soundtrack it's very very quiet and it's filmed almost like a documentary and very sterile and i have a quote here from um an essay um by david collette from criterionchannel.com as without a face the unreal reality um and he writes uh franju was fixated on the scene between actuality and fantasy yes (laughs) hey okay so the first time (laughs) The first time I saw this film, I did, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I had my hands over yeah. my face. Yeah, I was like, oh too. my gosh, this is so disturbing and so disgusting. Um, and then as I learned more about special effects and things, I find this scene, um, in, I don't know. I just think of the chocolate sauce that they're using on her face. Like it I know, just, I know. I think it's because like, it's in black and white. Like it yeah. looks, I think it's just like when he's like cutting under her skin. Yeah that part is just like it's so violent without being violent at the same time it's just like it's very disturbing it's interesting Mm -hmm. and then i mean it's yeah coming from the like his french's documentary roots the fact that this film is shot in a method that is fixed like you said there's like no sound Mm -hmm. and it allows for these really like abrupt but also at times really like beautiful and poetic encounters with the characters and they're like seemingly natural surroundings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then yeah i'm thinking of like the gossip device for the plot setup the documentary cells shooting like plays into that the title of eyes without a face like it being kind of this us being aware of like an entity that is perceiving yet um lacking an identity mm-hmm. so and, and i mean obviously this film is rich with Frangie's fingerprints all over this work. Um, but I do tend to think of this style choice as like feeding into a reading of the film as a comment on like the strangeness and the horror of the everyday, like the fact that he's mm-hmm. filming it as he has filmed his other documentary works of just filming colloquial experiences, movements mm-hmm. of life, everyday choreographies, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is no different, I yeah. think is like, dark and strange and yeah disgusting. that's really interesting right. <laughs> um yeah i just want to talk a little bit more about the critical response um 
So audience at the time were apparently horrified. Uh, and as you mentioned, Franju was tasked with making a film without too much blood because that would upset the French censors. No animal torture because that would upset the British censors and couldn't depict any mad scientist imagery or else the German censor censors would be upset over any sort of like Nazi doctor association. Um, so I have another quote from uh, David Collette's essay from CriterionChannel.com. So they write, there is a moment in Eyes Without a Face, you'll know it when you see it, when according to L'Express, the spectators drop like flies. At the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Film Festival, seven viewers actually fainted. The movie scandalized viewers so much that the outraged French critical establishment tried to deny that the film even existed. The only English view reviewer to admit that she liked it was nearly fired. How had it come to this? In the later years of the 1950s, films like Terence Fisher's Curse of Frankenstein from 1957 and Horror of Dracula from 1958 had substantially increased the level of sus suspense, sexuality, and gore that people could expect from thrillers. Uh, French viewers ate these gothic technicolor visions up, demonstrating a hungry and largely untapped French market of horror movies. In, in 1955, Henri Georges Clouseau pulled no punches in terrorizing film, film goers with Diabolique, but no French filmmaker had yet attempted a full bloodied horror picture of the kind being made so profitably in England and America. Although there had been a rich and vibrant tradition of French fantasy, the prevailing uh, critical opinion held that the horror genre was fundamentally at odds with the intrinsically artistic nature of French cinema. Critics desperately tied themselves into knots to reconcile eyes without a face with their preconceived notions of what food, good French cinema was supposed to be. Of course, the dilemma vanished if you agreed that horror filmmaking was a valid exercise in itself, that engaging an audience's fear was a legitimate as, man, as manipulating any other emotion. But few critics could bring themselves to admit that. Writing for, writing for Cahiers de Cinéma, Michael Delay argued that Eyes Without a Face must actually be a film noir masquerading as horror, since it was beyond question that no serious artist, artist would debase himself by making a horror picture. And I just think that's so interesting that it's like, was so, was deemed like so lowbrow and like so horrific that like French critics were just like, would not accept it at all. Exactly, but also so interesting that it would be, I mean, again, I'm coming at it from my particular political reading of it, but the fact that it's like, yes, it is horrific because that is the world that we're in like and then, then the fact to deem it like oh lowbrow or oh which mm -hmm. you read so much about how obviously things that are eschewed as lowbrow are really quite poignant mm -hmm. uh societal yeah critiques i think this but, also like um is connected to your your theory about like um cover-ups and not wanting to actually like um deal with the past in any sort of way like i feel like audiences don't necessarily want to be confronted with themselves yeah because it sucks and yeah it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so then in a film where it's about that it's about it's about keeping up appearances and mm -hmm. and um veneering and covering up mm -hmm. that is yeah it's interesting then to see this kind of like resistance occurring even like along genre lines Mm -hmm. and not surprising I suppose yeah but yeah this is kind of connected to our discussion of Christian's father and his sort of like emotionless sort of like detachment and how yeah just how he behaves so I think like in contrast to 
how the father is portrayed, um, Christian's movements are just like so intentional and emotional, even though she can't, you can't see her facial expressions from under her mask. And she has this very like dance-like quality about her movement. And yeah, I just think it's like so interesting. She moves like a like a bird. And she also, she also has like a very like Mia Farrow quality. Yes, totally. About her. Yeah. Yeah, so beautiful. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, to think, it's so interesting to like to perceive the doctor as as because clinical and sterile mm-hmm. and detached emotionally, he absolutely is. Mm-hmm. But I keep on just thinking of that scene where he's like sweating. He needs to yeah. ask for leave. Like he's sweating profusely. Mm-hmm. His breath is so labored. Like mm-hmm. he, I don't know. I feel like he's also emotive, just in a way that like. Mm-hmm sucks to watch yeah you know like in, in more of like more of like a visceral way in more of like yeah. his, his body is reacting emotionally but he isn't but he yeah 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 which makes sense in regards to the detachment totally yeah. um we have a christian okay so have you talked her ability to like oh it's so beautiful yeah there's like a mime like mm-hmm. quality about totally. it and then i made me curious i was doing some like looking up because seeing how she's wearing her like house coat gown and it has mm-hmm. kind of like that collar and it looks almost like it imparts a sense of like pre-Marcel Marceau lines mm-hmm. there's like the the rich folds and like the detailing at the sleeves and that yeah obviously with how she moves it's like very it's almost like staged like like how you, yes yeah if there's like people in the luges or whatever it's totally so beautiful. yeah yeah it's a very like theater quality because yeah you just you just have to like express emotion in a different way totally and then I yeah I feel like I even noticed that when it's oh gosh is it it's Edna right the 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 second the bandages yes yes exactly he jumps with whatever um because even when she's moving too Mm -hmm. like it makes me very curious about the movement Mm -hmm. coats they had in there because even when she doesn't have that same quality when we could see her face Mm -hmm. and we're getting to know her through Louise's grooming process but then all of a sudden when she's moving through the house mm-hmm. with her goodnight mommy mask on, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's, it's so beautiful. Oh my yeah, gosh. it's so The dancer is like, ah, it's yeah. so fantastic yeah. to watch. Um, and also to go back to your point of um, Christian's house coat, I saw that as like another way that the doctor and Louise are sort of infantil- infantilizing mm. her mm. because they've kind of reduced her to this like helpless child a fresh baby (laughs) who like can't leave the house and like can barely leave a room and I just think yeah like that the costuming really I think expresses her like imposed childness childness. yeah there's like a a, like the costume is like your wings have been clipped yes you can't escape this you're not even like a grown woman like you're you're a doll exactly Uh, totally yeah and she looks like a doll because of that mask yeah yeah it's so eerie when you realize that the mask is soft when she places it on a surface and you realize it's soft what i thought it was porcelain no there's a moment when it's like it's placed on a surface and you see the cheek like bend it's beautiful Mm. yeah it's soft and you can see it a bit sometimes when she moves her mouth it's like oh yeah it's like 
Oh yeah, when she oh. speaks with her mask on, it's so eerie because the the lips like barely move. Yeah, oh, I love it so much. <laughs> Such a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, another point to like talking about sort of institutions and patriarchal structures. I love how dumb the carps are and that they don't save her. Like Christiane gets to has to save herself and and the other woman. Totally useless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> I feel like it is like Franju's like. Yeah, institutional critique. Yes. Like the like the fact that okay, so the fact that even it's like the cops gossip. Yeah. That we are in on the story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the fact that they are all around completely useless. Um, and it yeah, it's like completely relates to the director's friendju's criticisms of like militaristic and mm-hmm. institutionalized nationalisms. Mm-hmm. Like they are so depressingly hopeless and they are also perhaps more part of not, I don't want to like separate story arcs here, mm-hmm. but they are part of the fiance whose name I completely mm-hmm. don't even remember. Jacques? Yeah. Mm-hmm. His story arc, which, which is like this like kind of more like melodramatic mm-hmm play like even thinking of like Louise I perceive is kind of involved in that like especially mm-hmm. she has that like Wizard of Oz like curb your enthusiasm her like theme. circus music yeah her like theme so music sinister it's so bizarre but also comical like it's yeah. so it's so it plays into this melodrama and then also yeah this like love story which we've never seen them together mm-hmm. so for us as viewers it's like this it's it exists in this state of separation or Mm -hmm. detachment Mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah it like plays into this strange melodramatic quality that that feels like it kind of balances nicely with Mm -hmm. this like what I perceive as yeah like a political Mm. political film (laughs) and then to have this like kind of like lighthearted love story but kind of not really yeah yeah with these like dumb cops and it's that, like, of course, like, believe the, like, white, rich male doctor. Yeah. Of course. They, like, totally abandoned their, like, um, confidential informant teen thief. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> not even and worried. The fact- they're not, they're unbothered that she's, like, missing. And the fact that a director is putting that so blatantly in the film, like, these people are useless. Incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> it's so blatant. Yeah, it's, it's oh, I love it. See, yeah. eyes without a face. I had no idea that it was this political and uh, anti-cop of a movie. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it does. It does an interesting. And again, with like that end scene of her walking towards something after destruction, absolute mm-hmm. destruction, mm-hmm. is like it's exciting and hopeful. And- yeah. But is it? Oh, like, what is she gonna do? Doesn't matter. She's got her birds. She's free. She's free. That's all that matters. Yeah. Free. Um, dogs are free. Also, like the animal dogs. I did like their like the the tender the only tenderness that you <gasps> see is between like her dogs because they're, oh. they're all just like they're all survivors. They're all just like victims of this like they're all captives. Man. Yeah. 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 They're all captives, and the scenes with her and the dogs is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the Sweet. fact that the dogs are like that, I that I feel like is like an emotional mm-hmm. moment when the dogs are allowed to just run. Oh, beautiful. She sets them free. Oh, mm-hmm. Christian. So good. 
Um, so yeah, so that's our show this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can listen to Bikini Drive-In every Sunday at 4 p.m. on CKW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Uh, I will be recording new episodes every two weeks. And yeah, you can listen to the show wherever you get podcasts. Um, Jill, thank you so much for, for joining me on the show again. Thank you so very much for having me. It was a delight yeah. to talk about this film. Thanks for hearing me ramble and stutter and all of the things. No, it's so great. Yeah, and it's so, <laughs> yeah, it, I, it's great to like talk about this movie with someone that like is such a fan and honestly it. knows so much about it. And like, yeah, it's great. Um, no, it's... Where can people find your work? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> I guess my website, jillingreening.com or the internet handle at J-I-L-L-G-R-O-E-N-I-N-G. I've been avoiding social media, so. Oh, yeah. So well, I mean, hardly. I talk to people, but I don't post unless I have to. Yeah. Um, do you have anything interesting coming up or any projects you can talk about? What's the date? Uh, I'm making an artist book right now, which is fun, um, for a decolonial mapping course through Aberdeen Arts Center. So I don't know when that would be out or published or but it's a collaborative work cool so that's what i'm doing right now and then um yeah that's it, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man canada council grants yeah. just submitted i have nothing for you <laughs> i'm i'm in suspension i'm in suspension mode yeah. Um, yeah, you can find uh, Bikini Drive-In um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's all just Bikini Drive-In. Right. Thanks. Thanks Bye. so much. Bye-bye.
Powered by volunteer community involvement, this is CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg.